We've had her share at our church, and, and she's just such a great blessing and uh, always enjoy. And this whole worship team, man, I, I'm just blown away by all Jeff's kids up here. It's kind of like our church in Springfield. All my kids are up there too, but they, they do a great job, and, and it was just, just amazing. So, Well, I've known Jeff for about 23 and a half years now. I, I came out. He, Jeff took over the church out here in Joplin. I came out about a year later to Springfield and took over the church. So we've known each other a really long time. And uh, Jeff has uh, graciously filled in for me when I've, I've had heart issues. And he's, he's come in at a moment's notice. And so Jeff called me about a week and a half ago and said, Tom, I know this is the last minute, but can you teach for me today? And I said, not a problem. Man, you've done so much for me, that's great. So I'm thinking, it's got to be some, some emergency or something's coming up. And so I go on to social media on Friday, and look, he's in San Diego. There's palm trees behind him. He's at this conference with the, the, the Turning Point Pastors Summit Conference. Some of the best teachers out there. I would have wanted to go. Why didn't you tell me about it? And so uh, I'm just praying for that, and... and uh, you know, praying that your pastor gets back safely because the conference is over, but I hear he's going to Las Vegas to parachute. I mean, you might be having me come back a little more um, after th that. Um. But uh, not after I tell you what we're teaching on this morning. James chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, if you want to not be invited back, teach through the book of James. No, that's not the case, but James chapter 1. Gonna look for the first eight verses of James chapter one. James writes, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The title of my message this morning is Growing in Faith. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here and, and giving us, Lord, not only information, but application that we can uh, put into our lives right away. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this church, for, for the pastors, for, for Jeff and Russ and Jody and, and, and all that you have going on here at this church. It's an exciting live fellowship, Lord, and I just pray your continued blessing upon it. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time together as we study your word, speak to our Lord. And finally, if there's anyone here that has joined us that doesn't have that personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, they're not born again this morning, would you especially touch their heart that they would see their need for you, turn from their sin, and turn to you today. So thank you for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, every New Testament book has its own theme and its own purpose. For the book of James, the Jewish Christians who James was writing to were having some problems in their personal lives. They were having problems in, in church life. And that's what James really addresses. And all these problems had a common theme. 
spiritual immaturity. These Christians were simply not growing in their faith. Therefore, James is a, it's a very practical book. And many have a problem with that because it's almost too practical. It's very pointed. And if you've ever studied the book of James, you know that it hits you right where it hurts. Because it deals head on with sin and with all of our shortcomings as believers. James is so direct with dealing in each of our lives that we cannot escape the teaching. It reminds me of a story of a southern preacher who was speaking uh, out against gambling. And there's a lady in the front row who was so excited about the preacher naming sin. Clearly, when he spoke about gambling, she shouted, Preach it, brother. Then when he spoke about drunkenness, she shouted, Amen. Then he got to dancing and flirting, and she was really excited by this time and shouted, Preach it, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Then he got to gossip and backbiting, and the lady leaned over to the person next to her and said, He's not preaching now. Now he's meddling. And I have to say, we need to have our sin meddled with. God wants to speak to his people because he loves us. He wants to give us direction. And he wants to give us instruction. He wants our lives to demonstrate sanctification. But most importantly, he wants us, he desires for us to grow in our faith. Now we do this through Romans 10, 17. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We know Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So by faith, we believe that he's God, and he's a rewarder if we diligently seek him. So we seek to please him with all of our lives, and we do that by spending time in his word. Thus we grow in our faith. And I hope that's why you're here this morning, because you want your faith to grow. You don't want to grow cold in your faith, or worse yet, lukewarm. We know what Jesus says about that in Revelation chapter 3. So if you've ever studied the book of James, you realize it's all about faith. Faith that endures trials. Faith that resists temptation. Faith that obeys the word of God. Faith that produces works. Faith that's not prejudiced. Faith that's more than just words or knowledge. Faith that controls the tongue. Faith that is revealed by obedience that holds fast to God's promises. Faith that chooses wisdom from God and not from the world. Faith that chooses to submit to God and resist the devil. And faith that waits patiently for the coming of the Lord. And in a word, faith works. Now this morning, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you three points to jot down. Number one, the promoter of faith. Number two, the problems for faith. And number three, the prayer of faith. Let's begin with who wrote this book. Obviously James, and he's number one, the promoter of faith. Look at verse one. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now there are those who say, well, this is James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. But there's a major problem with that. The biggest is James, the son of Zebedee, was martyred before this was written. So kind of hard to write a letter if you're dead. And so uh, there are those who say this is James, the son of Alphaeus, also called James the Less. Problem with that is we know very little about this man, even though we know he's an apostle. He doesn't seem to have any real uh, leadership within the church. I believe this is none other than uh, James, the Lord's half-brother, different dads. James is mentioned nine times in significant ways other than here in the book of James. Now we know that James rose to importance in the early church. We know he exercised leadership within the early church from Acts chapter 15 where he held the first church council. Tradition says that he had a nickname, Old Camel Knees. 
because he was always down on his knees and he's praying and seeking the Lord. We know he also had a special ministry to the Jewish believers. With that in mind, it's interesting to look and see the way that James opens this book and, and what he calls himself, how he dresses himself. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the perception that he is of himself. I'm just a servant of God. That's noteworthy because the world many times has a tendency to drop names. You know, it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. Certainly for James, being the Lord's half-brother, he had grounds to pull rank. You know, he could have said, listen, I'm not just anybody. This is James here, the younger brother of the Lord. But he doesn't do that. He just simply calls himself a bondservant. Bondservant. In the same way, that's who we all are as believers. Doesn't matter where you are on the social ladder, on the economic ladder, who you're related to, what church you used to go to, what church you go to. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, elder, Sunday school teacher. We're all just servants of Jesus Christ, serving him with the jobs and the gifts that he's assigned to us. And God has given us different gifts in our lives that we might serve him, that might we encourage one another and strengthen one another. We're saved to serve. Now, to serve, James had to be saved. Even though he was in the same family as Jesus growing up, he still needed to come to faith in Christ. Could you imagine being Jesus' half-brother, James, growing up? I mean, how much pressure was that? How many times did you have to hear from mom, James, why can't you be like your older brother, James? Comedian Michael Jr. has a routine. He says, probably everyone thought James could do what Jesus did, but he couldn't because he was just James. It wasn't James Christ. Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early, and they started running out of wine, and everybody looked at James. Man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. <laughs> Just going to stand there with your sandals on? Can you make it some Kool-Aid or something? I mean, imagine growing up always being compared to your older half-brother. In fact, John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 5, we're told that even his brothers did not believe in him. That is, until after Jesus rose from the dead. Then everything changed. That's what the resurrection does. It changes our lives. According to Acts 1.14, after Jesus ascended into heaven, we find the half-brothers up there in the upper room, it says there, and these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So James, the promoter of faith, had to grow in faith himself as he came to know his half-brother as his Lord, as his Savior. And now he's writing in verse 1 to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So James is also Pastor James. And he cared for these precious people, wanted to get a message to them. I tell you, Pastor Jeff cares for you guys. He gave me a text right before service this morning and says, listen, when you close, I need to, to pray for the people and I want you to invite the, the leaders up so they can pray for the people and then you can announce a blessing on them and then you can wish them a happy day. I think, Jeff, I got it. God, I should have texted him. I got it covered. But he cares for you guys. He loves you guys. In the same way, James loved these people. He wanted to get this message to them. Because James knew how hard it was to be a Christian, especially to be a Jewish Christian. Because as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, as a Jew, you would lose your job. You'd be excommunicated from the family. You'd be kicked out of the Jewish society. Whatever you had was taken from you. And this is true even to this day in very many Jewish families. If you come to faith in Christ, uh, this happens. Maybe I'm talking to some of you this morning. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, your family has cast you out. 
Maybe you lost a promotion at a job because of, they found that you were a Christian. Maybe you feel alienated, you feel mistreated. Maybe your brother or sister or mom or dad doesn't want to have anything to do with you because you're standing on biblical values. It's at those times that James is going to show us the importance of faith, which brings us to point number two, the problems for faith. We all know the walk of the believer is not an easy one. It can be filled with many problems, and James addresses these problems. Why does God let calamities come into our lives as Christians? Why does God allow tragedy to come into the lives of believers? Why do we have to face trials? What is their purpose? Is there anything we can do to make it move along more quickly? Why are you asking so many questions? Well, I don't know, but here, James, he's got answers, that's why. Look at verse 2 now. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, when you read that, you think, what kind of bizarro thing is that to say to someone who's suffering? It's like saying to someone who's really going through hard times, cheer up, put on a happy face, don't worry, be happy. You want to punch someone in the face that says that to you when you're going through a hard time. Is that what James is saying? Well, yes and no. He is encouraging them to rejoice, but there's a reason for what he's saying. First of all, let's understand what James is not saying. James is not saying are suggesting that we should necessarily be experiencing some all-encompassing emotion of joy happiness when we face some heavy trial or circumstance. Oh, I'm just so happy, happy, happy. This is so great. I had to put my dog to sleep. Cat, perhaps, but not, not your dog. But, but Listen, James is not saying that trials themselves are joyous because for the most part, you know this. They're not. But the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 12, 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yet James does say, count it all joy. What does that mean? He says, make a deliberate and careful decision to experience joy in your troubles and trials. Is that possible? I would say it is, but it's not very easy to do. A good illustration of this, I think of, is Paul and Silas. They're put into prison for preaching the gospel. They're chained. They've been whipped. They've been, they're, they're in there. It's cold. It's dark. It's a dungeon. The Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing praises to God. I don't think that was an easy thing to do. But as a result... The other prisoners all heard them singing, and there was this earthquake, and a jailer, and the whole family got saved. But it all started with Paul and Silas decided to rejoice with singing in spite of their circumstances. And that can happen in our lives. You're going through a difficult situation, and someone who's not a believer, they're going, what is God? how can you have so much joy when you're going through this tough situation? Well, it's because of the Lord. And it opens up for them an opportunity to come to faith in Christ. I like the way the Phillips translation puts James chapter 1, verse 2. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent, resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. See, James is saying there's only lessons that can only be learned in times of trial as you go through them. That's how you'll grow in your faith. You'll grow, and that's a good thing. No, even temptation plays its part in the spiritual growth of the believer. You might say, oh, no, there's nothing good that comes from temptation. Well, yeah, it is. If you resist it, you know, that's good. If you don't resist it, then it's horrible. But if you react properly, if you resist it, you can grow stronger as a result. But also notice what James says in verse 2. 
He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if you fall into various trials. That tells us we all are going to face trials in our lives. Just because you come to faith in Christ doesn't mean the sky's always going to be blue. The birds are always going to chirp. You're never going to have a flat tire. You'll always be of good health. No, Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all go through trials. The difference, though, is as believers, we have Jesus to help get us through. Now, notice also what James doesn't say. He doesn't say, count it all joy when you walk into various trials. No, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Sometimes, sometimes we walk into trials and problems of our own making. Like the man who was on his lunch break and said to his co-worker, I am so sick of bologna and cheese sandwiches. To which his buddy then said, tell your wife to pack something else. He said, my wife didn't make it, I did. <laughs> Listen, if you know you're on your car, you're, you're, the tire's getting bald, and you do nothing about it, and you have a flat tire, you can't say, oh, God is taking me through this trial. No, you should have taken care of the tire. You know, if you go out to dinner every single night of the week, but you have no money to pay your utility bill at the end of the month, you can't say, oh, the Lord's allowing me this financial hardship in my life to teach me something. No, you, knew, you know better. You did it to yourself. I'm convinced that, that many trials we go through are self-inflicted. That we walk through the trials and problems of our own making. And they may be the direct result of our own laziness or selfishness or, or pride or greed or lust or whatever. We create our own problems. Or we may break a commandment of God and then we get angry at the Lord when we have to face the consequences. Why are you doing this to me, God? I said, Listen, friend, I'm not doing it to you. You're reaping what you've sown. You brought this on yourself. We do create a lot of our own problems. There's no doubt about that. But James here says there's something you should know when you fall into various trials. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you want to be lacking nothing, walking in faith, so when difficulties hit you, you can stand strong, have increasing joy in your life? Then we, you have to know it's only going to come through having those trials, through the testing of your faith. Then it will produce patience and joy and peace and strength to see you through. In fact, one translation of the word patience is endurance. Another translation is steadfastness. Another one is staying power. I like this translation. It says, the trying of your faith produces an heroic endurance. I like that. Another one says fortitude. Another translation says toughness. Each one of those translations helps us to see the objective. God wants you to have endurance. This microphone, I'm sorry, has given me... Mine's different in Springfield. It actually goes around both my ears, and I have small ear tops, and so it doesn't stay on. No, we're getting it. Pray for my small ear tops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I need some toughness here. Fortitude, toughness. All those words help us to see the objective. God wants you to have endurance. He wants you to have staying power. He wants you to have fortitude and toughness. Maybe if you guys, you're in high school and you played football. Remember what's commonly known, hell week. You know, that was the worst week of all the training. So intense, so rough, but it was in order for you to learn how to dodge the tackles, how to have endurance, how to react under pressure. And by the time it was over, you were stronger. You were more confident. That's what God's doing with us. He doesn't want us to be weak or, or wimpy spiritually. 
So the test comes our way. The trials come our way. Sometimes the tests come when you least expect it. And you get hit. You get blindsided. But God says, hey, I'm going to use this to toughen you up spiritually, strengthen your spiritual muscles. I want you to learn how to, to block and hold up the, that shield of faith and keep that helmet of salvation in battle. I want to increase your stamina and your ability to so stay with it. Don't give up. That's what God's doing, spiritual training. Now, those of you that have lifted weights, you know what it's like. You know, you decide to go to the YMCA to get in shape. You know, the YMCA, however it goes. So you go to the Y. You get a trainer at the Y. Okay, I got to get a trainer. And he puts you on a program. And you do some arm curls, a few leg presses, and the trainer says, okay, okay, now lift again. Okay, it seems pretty easy for you. You get through the whole routine. And then he tells you, well, come back tomorrow. You feel pretty good. So, you know, a little tired, you go home. Then you wake up the next morning, you go, whoa, who ran over me with a bus? What happened in the middle of the night? Things hurt that I haven't hurt in a while. My toes even hurt. You think, what did I do that caused this? Oh, you remember, you exercise. You use muscles you haven't used in a long time. So you go to the trainer, and you expect when you say to him, hey, I'm really sore. And you want him to say, I'm so sorry. Why don't you go home and get some rest? But no, not him. Great, let's go through the same routines again. And then you hear the phrase that everyone hates to hear. No pain, no gain. I like my saying, no pain, no pain. That, that, that's, you know, but, but then the trainer says, listen, if you want to be strong, if you want to be tough, you can't just be sitting around watching others do the workout. You have to get and do it for yourself. If you want your heart to be in good shape, you have to exercise, you have to jog, you have to walk, get that blood pumping. Here's my point. The problem about growing in our faith is often we don't want to. We don't want to go through that trial. We don't want to go through that time of testing or difficulty. But when we do and we all do, God wants us to know it's only going to make you stronger. And so James says, because of that, look at verse 4. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Or again, I like the Phillips translation. Let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in bloom, you are ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. That's a great translation. Don't try to squirm out of your problems, but let God do what God's going to do because it's for your own benefit. Now, we may not see it presently, so it's tempting to say, Lord, please take it away. In fact, Paul and the apostle in 2 Corinthians 12 spoke of this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that thorn was specifically. It seems to be in context some sort of physical uh, infirmity. Some believe that it might have been impaired eyesight after being stoned and beat many times for proclaiming the gospel. But Paul asked three times to have it be taken away. And the Lord basically said, no. He said, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, my strength shows itself the strongest in your weakest moments. Same thing true in our life. Why did this thorn come? We know Paul had a vision of heaven. And it was so wonderful, he couldn't even describe it. We're told in 2 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says, even though I've received such a wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. See, we don't always know why the Lord allows these things in our lives, but we do know it's that God's strength can show itself strong in my life during my weakest times. Maybe God's allowing some strong trial to happen in your life. 
Maybe you've been going through some hardships and you're saying, why, Lord, what's the purpose? What's the objective? Maybe he's made it known to you. Maybe he hasn't. But know this. God is in control. And he's seeking to make you more like Jesus and create in you that, that family likeness. And it's going to cause you to be stronger, to be tougher, so you might have this heroic endurance so you're growing your faith. It's all a part of the Christian life. We may not always know why. We may not always, why did this happen, or, or what? What is going on? But this we know. We know the who. We know who is in control. I like a story I found about Susan, a three-year-old lying in her bed. When she opened her eyes, she saw the stern face of a man peering down at her. As she screamed out in fright, the man quickly shuffled out of the room. Hearing her daughter scream, Susan's mother ran into her room and held her tightly. Meanwhile, the man's voice could be heard talking to an accomplice on the telephone. He quickly reappeared, snatched Susan out of her mother's arms, ran down the stairs into a waiting car. Susan screamed as the car sped through town to a large building. Carried to the fourth floor of this ominous edifice, Susan was placed on a bed and given a shot of a powerful drug. Just before she passed out, Susan looked into the face of yet another stranger, seconds before she, he unsheathed a knife and ripped into her stomach. Give those men the death penalty, we would cry. But wait, the man who tore Susan away from her mother was her father. Aware that his daughter had been groaning all night, he called, the call he made was to a doctor who said, bring her in immediately. It sounds like her appendix has burst. The large building was a hospital, the drug was an anesthetic, and the knife was a scalpel, and the girl was saved. From a three-year-old perspective, the events of the evening were terrifying. But from a parent's perspective, they were saving her life. From our perspective, trials and problems, they, they may appear terrifying, but God has his perspective. He's saving our lives. He's allowing things we don't understand to come into our lives to make us who we are, strong, healthy followers of Jesus Christ and help us grow in our faith. And we all know Romans 8, 28, 29. And we all know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So growing in our faith, we must recognize that God is the one who's in control. He's making you into the person he wants you to be, doing the work he wants you to do in your life. One more thing, trials, they don't last forever. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it came to pass. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. Trials do not last forever. They are for a season. When God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. If we rebel, he may have to reset the clock. But if we submit, he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. The important thing is that we learn the lesson he wants to teach us and that we bring glory to him alone. I like that. So this brings us to our final point. Point number one, the promoter of our faith is James. The problem of our faith we looked at. Number three, the prayer of faith. James here says next, it's okay to ask the Lord what's going on. We should do that. Look at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you want to grow in your faith, it begins by asking God for wisdom and turning to the Lord in prayer. J.C. Riley puts it this way, trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. Yes, 
Prayer should always uh, uh, include, uh, uh, you know, praise and thanksgiving to our great God. But prayer is also about petition. Asking God when there is a need, what to do? Where should we go? What would you have us to do? James tells us, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's the first really step in the prayer of faith. Ask God for wisdom. You know, we all know there are times when we do things that, that we realize we just lack wisdom. And it's not until after the fact we go, why did I say that? Why did I, I do that? It's like the college graduate who designed an advertisement that read, illiterate, write today for free help. You know, politicians are a wonderful source of displaying a lack of wisdom. One time, George Stephanopoulos appeared as a guest on the Larry King Live show and said, the president has kept all of the promises he intended to keep. Okay. How about former U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was quoted as saying, things are more likely are now than they ever were before. One more, when asked about Russia's attack on Ukraine, President Biden's response was, Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Iranian people? I don't think he's trying to gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Ukrainian, maybe. So James says, we need to pray. I say pray, especially for the president. But, but notice, it's not so much I pray that this trial will stop, Lord, take this away from me, please. No, it's Lord, I want to know what you want to accomplish through this trial, so please give me the wisdom to know what that is. Now, it's not wrong to pray, Lord, uh, would you pray, stop this trial, Lord, take this away from me. Paul did three times, but James says we need to put a priority on wisdom. Pray for wisdom. And let me tell you, wisdom is rooted in the fear and reverence of God. I like what Job says in Job 28, 12. But where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And he discusses about the whereabouts. Then he says in verse 15, it cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. Verse 18, he says, no mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. And then he says, furthermore, God understands its way and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens. And finally, Job concludes this in Job 28, 28. And the man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, it doesn't matter what kind of genius you are, what kind of brainiac you are. If you are a man or woman who has no fear of God, you're without wisdom. If you really want to understand how to deal with problems, if you really want to understand what's going on, turn to God in prayer. Look to his word. Until we pray, until we open up God's word, we will never understand what the problem is or what the solution is. And until we do, there'll be increasingly more and more unanswered questions to the things happening in the world around us. It's amazing to me that more and more people aren't driven to their knees by the tragedies and the things that we're seeing happening in our world today. We see those who are supposedly are in the know, the ones who are supposed to have the answers. They spout off junk, really just plain garbage apart from God. Man's wisdom says if we take away all the guns and there will be no more shootings in our schools. God's wisdom says train a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. That will take away that problem. Man's wisdom says to fund the police department, no more laws. God's wisdom says sin is lawlessness. Man's wisdom says there's many genders. 
God's wisdom said he just created two, male and female. Man's wisdom says it's a choice. God's wisdom says it's murder. Listen, true wisdom begins with reverence of God, the fear of the Lord. Wisdom for us as believers is personally connected to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you need wisdom, come to Jesus. Jesus Christ was the perfect expression of wisdom in God. And if you know him this morning, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're being changed by his wisdom continually and daily as you dig in his word. That's the gist of what James is saying here in verse 5. Just ask when you need it, whatever the problem may be. Maybe you don't know how to deal with a problem that, that you're, that's going on right now or how to, to deal with a difficult boss or a problem with your neighbor or husband or wife or mother-in-law. God says, just ask. Is he... We need, we need to realize James is not saying this is a suggestion. Well, if, if you don't know what else to do, maybe when you get to the end of the rope, to just ask God. No, this is a command. Ask God. Seek God for wisdom because he is the God who gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. In the original language, the phrase God who gives graphically emphasizes giving as a majestic characteristic of God. It reads this way. Let him ask the constantly giving God. You know, Scripture is, overflows with this aspect of our God. Giving is a characteristic of our God, is it not? Acts chapter 17, verse 25 says, He gives to all life, breath, and all things. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? See, God's wisdom is like this, this large pitcher of fresh cold water just waiting to pour out on his children if they would just ask. Listen, prayer opens the door to what God wants to do in my life. He's just waiting for me to come to him in prayer. Let me say that again. Prayer opens the door to what God wants to do in my life, and he's just waiting for me to come to him in prayer. He's ready to give me wisdom, liberally, without reproach. You know, James says that. I think when we share wisdom with our kids, it usually comes with reproach, doesn't it? All right, I'm going to tell you what to do this time. But next time, don't even think about coming. You know, we reproach them. We want to slide that in. Don't you ever ask again. But I love the Lord's response here. He says, I'm so glad you asked. Here it comes, liberally, without reproach. I love the story told by C.H. Spurgeon. It goes like this. A benevolent person gave Mr. Roland Hill 100 pounds to dispense to a poor minister a bit at a time, thinking it was too much to send him all at once. Mr. Hill forwarded five pounds in the letter with only the words written inside the envelope, more to follow. In a few days' time, the good man received another letter. The second messenger contained another five pounds with the same note, more to follow. A day or two after came a third and a fourth and still the same promise and more to follow. This went on and on for quite some time. Spurgeon goes on to say, Every blessing that comes from God is sent with the same message and more to follow. I forgive you your sins, but there's more to follow. I justify you in the righteousness of Christ, but there's more to follow. I adopt you into my family, but there's more to follow. I prepared, for you, I prepared you for heaven, but there's more to follow. 
I give you grace upon grace, but there's more to follow. I've helped you even to old age, but there's still more to follow. I will uphold you in the hour of death, and as you're passing into the next world, my mercy shall continue with you, and when you land in the world to come, there shall be more to follow. I love that. Finally, James says, if you're going to pray, it needs to be a prayer of faith. Look at verses uh, 6 to 8. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let, let him ask in faith without doubting. In other words, the request for wisdom must be a genuine trust and faith in God's character, God's purpose, God's promises for you as a believer. Now, some Christians, they, they come to God and ask, doubting that God will give them what they need. And they rationalize it with God. Perhaps you've done this. You come to God and say, oh, I, I need wisdom, but, but if I don't receive it, God, I understand. Because I, I just really don't deserve it, God. Which is true, but it's irrelevant. If you are a believer and have had your sins forgiven, you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, your Lord, you're born again, then the point is irrelevant. God didn't say, come to me all who deserve it, because none of us would be Christians then. You come to me because you, you don't deserve it, God says, and I'll give you rest. Another excuse for not coming to God, and it's a common one. Well, I'm just not going to bring this one to God because it's just a little thing, and I don't want to bug God with that, and I'll just handle it. No, God is concerned with the little things that are going on in your life as well, big or small, in God's infinite grace. He loves, he chooses to give us wisdom and take interest in the things we, uh, we and others may think are insignificant. So when you come to faith, or come to God, you need to believe and ask in faith. See, a request that doesn't take God at his word is presumptuous and worthless. Coming to God and asking for wisdom but not taking God as a word is like a kid coming to his father who's a, a master mechanic and says, Dad, how does the car work? But then he says, oh, never mind. I'll figure it out on my own. Or your mom's at a great cook, you know, and your daughter's asking your mom, Mom, how can you cook that special dish you make? Oh, never mind. I'll ask someone else. I mean, that'd be a slap in the face. God says, when you ask me, don't doubt me. Again, Hebrews 11:6, what we started with, but without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. James says, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, like a boat, you know, bobbing up and down and back and forth and back and forth. That's the picture that James is, is painting here for us, that instability, double-minded, divided interest. He wants God to do what he wants God to do and nothing else. That's kind of like a split personality Christian. Listen, there's three ways to approach trials. Faith says yes. Unbelief says no. Doubt says yes and no at the same time. See, double-minded Christians want to do it their way, yet they still want God to do it his way. They want some of God and some of themselves. God's not going to play that game. He wants the whole shebang. God is saying, if you're bringing that need to me, then you need to turn the whole thing over to me. You can't have it both ways. Oftentimes, I'll have people come in for counseling, and they'll say, well, I'm just praying that God will do this or that for me. But after we pray, and I show them God's word, I say, that's not the will of God. Well, they still go out and do what they wanted God to do in the first place. It's nuts. It's crazy. Take marriage, for example. 
Well, my husband isn't treating me like he should. I just wish God would just let me get out of this marriage. Well, listen, God's word says that it's only through adultery or abandonment that, that, that you can leave a marriage. Well, thanks, Pastor, for the counsel. Then they go out and get a divorce, leave the church and go somewhere else because they don't want to face having, you know, not doing what the word of God says. See, God's word has something very strong to say about someone like that. God says, don't expect to receive anything from me if you're just going to go out and do your own thing. As we close, do you want wisdom? I hope you do this morning. There's an old song years ago, you might remember it, from Malcolm and Alwyn, if you're a Christian in the 70s, called Fool's Wisdom. And the beginning words of the song were, got myself some wisdom from a leatherback book, got myself a savior when I took a second look. I love that. If you need wisdom, look to God's word. And as you do, you'll find your savior. In your tribulation, in your present difficulty, come to Jesus and ask wisdom prayerfully and humility, knowing that God wants to speak to you personally and he has abundant wisdom. He's just waiting, waiting for you to seek him. He's going to pour it out. But prayer is the key. Again, prayer opens the door to what God wants you to do in your life. He's just waiting for you to come to him in prayer. Maybe you're going through a tough time right now. Know that Jesus understands. Greatest trial that Jesus ever faced was going to the cross, dying for my sin, dying for your sin. We read in God's word that as he's in the garden and he's praying, there's sweat, as there were great drops of blood there in the garden. But then he says this in Luke 22, 42. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed. If there's another way to save mankind, any other way, Lord, take it away. But not my will, yours be done. Can you pray that? Lord, you can take this trial away if you want to. And Lord, I want you to. But not my will, yours be done. So give me that strength to endure it. God, I believe 100% you could heal me if you want to, but not my will, yours be done. But know this, James says, you have not, but you ask not. If you need a healing, ask God for the healing. If you need daily strength, ask him for that. If you need more faith, just ask. One final thing, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to take the first step of faith and asking him to forgive you of your sin and give your life to him. And I assure you, that prayer will be answered 100% of the time. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So I would encourage you, give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Need wisdom? Need strength? Ask the Lord. He'll give it to you. Now I know that, because Jeff instructed me, as soon as we're done here, we're, I'm going to pray in a moment, the leaders are going to come forward, and if you have any sort of prayer needs whatsoever, they're here to pray for you. And I would encourage you to utilize them. We do the same thing at our church. If you have a need, come forward. They're here to pray for you. But more importantly, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come forward, talk to them. I'm sure they would love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for these precious people, Lord, that you brought in this morning. They put it a priority to be here, to be in your word. And Lord, you are faithful, Lord, to always speak to our hearts. And I know that you've done that this morning, Lord. So Lord, I pray right now for anyone here, Lord, that may need a healing, Lord. We're asking for a healing touch of your, of your hand upon their lives. Whatever it may be, Lord, that's going on physically in their body. 
Lord, would you heal them? Would you touch them? Would you give them wisdom and how to proceed from here? Maybe it's a trial they're facing, Lord. They don't know what to do next, what steps to take. Lord, would you give them wisdom? Pour it out upon them liberally without reproach. Lord, I do pray for the marriages here. Maybe there's some marriages that are, that are struggling, just trial after trial. And they need wisdom, Lord. They need to turn to you and to your word to find wisdom, to find you as their Savior. Help them to do that, Lord. Father, I do pray again, if there's anyone here that has yet to turn to you in faith, to be born again, Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart, that come to know you as Lord and Savior. And finally, Lord, I pray your richest blessing upon this church, Lord, upon Jeff and Missy and their family and Russ and, and Kim and Jody and Jean and all the folks here in Joplin, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and pour your grace upon them. In your son's Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget the guys up here for uh, any sort of prayer you need. Have a great week. Enjoy your Frisbee golf tournament today. God bless you guys. <laughs>